Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. Hi, everyone. I just got off a Zoom call with Irving Fain, the founder and CEO of Bowery Farming, the vertical farming group based in the New York tri-state area. And we had such a great catch-up. I haven't spoken to him since the end of 2019. So there's been a lot of changes, particularly for them, a lot of expansion into new stores. They're building new farms. Um, we really dig into their strategy they've got great marketing for their produce um, great distribution but they've also built uh, very high-tech capabilities in-house they've done all of it themselves we dig into why and how they've done that what their future expansion plans are so any of you vertical farming enthusiasts or those of you that you know aren't as familiar with the sector i think you should really enjoy this conversation with irving fain founder and ceo of bowery farming irving great to have you on the podcast great to be here uh, so, what was your favorite lockdown meal that you would prepare at home when you couldn't eat anywhere else? We we got fairly into making our own pizzas for a period of time. So uh, we got we tried grilled pizzas, which occasionally worked well. Other times were disastrous, more in the transfer of the pizza back and forth than anything else. And then we did pizzas in the oven as well. But we had a lot of fun just kind of sampling different fresh ingredients and seeing what was good on a pizza and what wasn't. Um, did you make your own dough? Ah, we did not get that far. We, did, we didn't get Sorry, to the bread. I'm exposed to you. Yeah, we didn't get to the bread making component of the pandemic. I didn't get my get to my own sourdough or anything like that. My 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 goal the whole time was to make a banana bread, but I never even did that. So I feel uh, I feel lacking in that department. Well, your waistline is probably thanking you for that because I had a lot of banana bread. Yeah, but I, I think I, I'm not sure I would have had the restraint. So maybe it's better that I never tapped into that area. And were there any restaurants that you really missed while things were locked down and that you've been going back to now things are opening up in New York? I think, you know, I just missed being in restaurants in general, honestly. There's something nice about just sitting down inside, you know, the noise and the energy and then just sort of, you know, getting, because it, it's, it, it's amazing what restaurants did to be able to adapt during the pandemic and you know being in New York City you're very familiar with takeout anyway because you know takeout was born in some regards in New York but there's nothing that replaces like a fresh hot meal just kind of coming to your uh to your table, not in a box or any sort. And, you know, again, just kind of feeling that noise and energy around you. So I'm just excited that that's coming back. Totally. The pandemic has not been slowing Bowery down. You've had quite a few announcements recently. So I'll just mention a few of them. You expanded into 275 more Albertson stores. So you're now in 800 stores. And that contributed to more than 700% brick and mortar sales growth from January 2020. Um, You're building your biggest farm to date in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which will bring your products to a population of 50 million within a 200 mile radius. Uh, You've hired some really high profile people like the former VP of Google and CTO of Samsung Mobile, In Jong Ri. And you've just opened FarmX your new R&D farm in New Jersey. And I 
was very lucky to have a video tour of it, which was awesome. I heard, and you got some tasting as well, is what I heard. <laughs> some tasting. Well, I got to see the tasting. Oh yeah, because you're you're in England, so you can't send yeah. produce to England. Aha! I remember that now. <laughs> so I watched I watched them eating it. And I thought, well, that looks delicious. I wish I could have tried it. What's different about this R and D facility to the last one? Yeah, I, I think the the simplest word would be customization. And, and what I mean by that is what the magic of what we're doing at Bowery in many ways is the ability to create micro level control around crops at a macro scale. And that's really what's driven a lot of the innovation and the technology that we've developed and the growth systems that we've created and a lot of the agricultural science work that we're doing today. And so if what PharmEx allows us to do is work and experiment and grow in many more individually unique environments in one single space than we could do in our last R&D facility. And so that helps not only with optimization of the existing crops that we're growing, but it's helping in our breeding programs that we're owning now. It's helping as we move beyond just leafy greens and herbs. Uh, I know you got to see strawberries and, you know, we're growing other fruiting crops and root vegetables and tubers. And so just that kind of customization and versatility is really powerful as we start to focus on sort of the next phase of expansion for us. Right. And how, what makes you different from your competitors? You know, at Bowery, there's a few areas that we really have focused on heavily. You know, one of them is in the, the growth system and the way we actually, you know, manage and grow and build our farms, which leverage a substantial amount of proprietary automation and robotics, which are not only inside of the growth space itself, but across our entire operation. So right now, the entire process from seed really to when we ship out has been automated. And the second piece that's it's really been important to us is the Bowery operating system. And you and I have talked about this over the years. And, and you know, it's it's been a point of focus for us from the very earliest of days. And the Bowery OS is, it's the brains of our operation. It is like our central nervous system. And I think it's evolved over time from just being focused around the plants to now really traversing the whole operation itself into scheduling and organization and task management and work management and supply chain management and demand planning and sales planning. And really what the OS is, is the combination of software, our center and control systems, artificial intelligence and computer vision that not only helps our plants get exactly what they need when they need it, but it really optimizes across the entire supply chain that we're building. And the other benefit is it really helps to make what we're building at Bowery immensely scalable. Because if you think about sort of the hindrance of scaling agriculture, you, know, you could be the greatest farm farmer in England that England has ever seen. And we were to pick you up and bring you over here to New Jersey, for instance, and it would be different soil, different weather, different, different everything, really. And so your skills wouldn't necessarily translate. So it's this combination of knowledge, specialization, and climactic variance together. And we can build a farm, a Bowery farm in any city anywhere in the world and create that exact climate we want to have. And it's not just a function of putting up four walls, some racks and lights. Controlling climate at scale is a different, difficult endeavor in and of itself. And then you put the Bowery operating system in and we have the knowledge of every crop we've ever grown, every process we've ever run immediately available to that farm. 
And so that farm sort of comes online with the benefit of the entire network and all the learnings before it. And that farm itself then contributes data into the network and it makes the network itself stronger and stronger as we go. And so that operating system is not only an investment in the present, making sure that we grow exceptional produce for our consumers and our customers, but it's also an investment in the future and our ability to scale the model and scale the company. Just talk through exactly how it works for uh, listeners that might be less aware. So you could talk about one of your uh, crops, your kale. So you bring in, you talk us about what, what point do you bring in the plant, you know, and then it's tracked with Barry OS and, you know, tell us a bit about that sort of whole journey and how you're doing the tracking and then the automation that's involved as well. Yeah, it's, I think what what's so I think, exciting around what we're building is the incredible transparency that we're able to provide into the food that ultimately our consumers are eating. You know, I think, and you talk about this, there's this real movement and trend, and it's happened long before COVID, obviously, around just understanding where our food came from, right? People ask the question of how was my food grown or who grew it and what was on it or what was in it. And, and these types of questions have been difficult for big food to answer. And when you look at the large-scale agricultural supply chain, maybe not just difficult, but impossible in some cases to answer. Hence why in some of these recalls, they've said, take everything off the shelf. We can't trace the problem back because we we can't unravel the string. And so what the operating system is able to do is provide essentially complete transparency from seed all the way to the store. So we can pick up a package of Bowery, in your case, kale, as you said, and we could tell you every single thing that's happened to that product from the moment that seed was planted to the moment that product was delivered to our retail partner. And so we're tracking from the very beginning of that crop's life. We're making sure that the seed was planted as it should have been planted. It's germinating for the right period of time. Then that seed is actually getting put into the system. And once that seed is in the system, we're ensuring that it gets everything that that kale seed needs from its earliest stages of life to its mid stage of life to its late stage of life. And we're watching and monitoring and understanding that specific crop, not just all kale, but that specific crop through its entire life cycle. And so our capacity essentially is at a very granular level to say, do we like what's happening to this specific kale? Because there's a computer vision system, which is taking photos of that kale crop from the moment it was planted all the way to the moment it's harvested. And we're taking those images and they get run through deep learning algorithms that we've developed. And we can say what's happening today, but also predict what we expect will happen in the future. So if something starts to go wrong, for instance, with that kale crop, we can make changes and adjustments automatically without anybody needing to make decisions themselves to make sure that we grow the healthiest and most delicious crop every single time. And those changes are things like the lighting intensity or the temperature or the um, nutrients. That's right. There, I mean, you know, it, it, there's so many different variables that we have the ability to control. It's not only the light intensity, but it also could be the photo period. You know, how much day and how much nighttime does a crop get? It's the airflow. It's the flow of the water and the depth of the water and the nutrients, you know, and by changing airflow, you can change humidity around a canopy. And so you, you have a, a many, many different variables and, and plants are ecosystems, right? I mean, what we've developed is an ecosystem. It, it's indoors. And so when you change one variable, it has an impact on the other variable. 
balance. So understanding how they all play together. And when you change one thing, what's the impact on the others is an important part of this process. It is a complex multivariant equation. You know, the way I think about it is like a mixing board. When you, when you think about a recording studio and you have that whole long board with all the dials that move up and down and moving one dial has an impact on the entire sound that you're kind of creating overall. And in some ways, growing our plants is that song right? The plant is the expression of that song and how you organize and control those different variables together to produce that plant song is what the operating system in essence is doing. So you decided to build this all in-house. I mean, now even your control systems, you know, the actual automation, is that all proprietary as well? Yeah. So the the operating system is, is proprietary and built from the ground up by us. And, you know, we, we're not dogmatic about needing to invent things internally. I think that's something you've got to be really careful of when you're building a company because focus really matters. And so there are some instances where at one point we had used off-the-shelf technology, but found that it just didn't do what we needed it to do and deliver data in the way that we needed it to deliver. And we actually had spent time with vendors and said, hey, this is what we're thinking about. And they kind of looked at us and said, hey, we can't really do that. No one's ever asked us. And so he said, okay, we'll do it ourselves. Um, in the case of automation, we either design or develop it on our own, or we work in conjunction with partners where we'll actually own that IP itself and develop as well. Because at some point, what we're doing is really unique to the growth system and the technologies that we've employed at Bowery. And so it's really hard to buy something off the shelf that fits neatly into our system. That is not cheap. So you've raised, is it nearly 200 million? Yeah, we've raised about 175 million to date. Right. So it's not cheap. And, you know, we've seen recently, so Aero Farms, I mean, I guess you can call them a competitor because they're in the same region. Uh, you know, they've announced their financials because they're uh, about to go public. And as we can see, they still have several years before they make a profit on a per operation basis. And they've been around longer than Barry. So just wondering, you know, is there a profitable future for vertical farming in less than five years from now? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things, I mean, I remember actually, I think, having this same conversation with you a couple of years ago. Um, we were catching up and we had talked about the fact that, yes, building your own technology stack isn't necessarily a cheap endeavor, but the opportunity that's represented on the other side here and the potential market that we're looking towards at Bowery is enormous. And the impact and the change that we can generate by succeeding in that opportunity is equally large. And so it, the, the return on investment is absolutely there. And I think for us at Bowery, unit economics have been a critical point of focus from the earliest days. You know, even before we raised the very first dollar of capital, we spent almost a year and a half just researching and building systems and technologies and understanding what we were doing based on the core of what is the most efficient and scalable way to build this business that economically would work? And when I did that work, one of the options I considered was there really isn't a good answer. And there isn't a good way to do this economically because I would have rather known back then to put X number of years of, of my life into it just to find an answer out I could have found earlier. And you know, I think that that focus has really driven the innovation that we've created at Bowery, the areas of focus and investment that we've made, the way we've built our teams, the way we've built our farms is because you know, when you can build an economic engine that runs on its own and generates a profit and equally creates a substantial side societal impact alongside, you can exponentially increase the impact that you make as a company. 
compared to a nonprofit or an NGO, for instance. And so we're really focused on how do you build a long-term sustainable business along, alongside generating a more sustainable way of farming. There is a profitable future within five years. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, the costs, the energy costs, I mean, that's obviously one of the big challenges and concerns around indoor ag, you know, particularly when people are looking at reducing carbon footprints and so on. Like, what are the developments there in terms of reducing the energy needs? Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's a few different threads there that are important. You know, most importantly for us at Bowery is that we're powering our farms with 100% renewable energy. So our farm in Maryland, we actually power with 100% low-impact hydropower. And so I think as more and more renewable energy is available, and as the cost of renewable energy continues to come down further and further, which I think are two trends you can really rely on, there's a real benefit to power our entire operation from a renewable energy source. And if you think about that against what we're replacing, which isn't just the farm, it's actually the whole supply chain. It's the whole process from when those seeds get planted on a farm outside all the way to when they get harvested and then brought to a processing factory and then maybe brought to a storage place and then to one DC and another DC and trucked. So there's many, many steps in a process, which for us at Bowery are contained essentially in one building. So our opportunity to create a sustainable energy source for what we're doing is really one shot. Right, which we've done now. Whereas if you're going to create sustainable energy sources for the entire ag supply chain today, that's a really complex endeavor. So there's actually a real advantage that we have there. And then I think the other advantage that, that, that gets talked about all the time in our space is the trend around lighting in general, which is that you're going to see lights continue to become more and more efficient, which means for the same amount of, of energy today, you'll get even more photons, or you could say it differently, for the amount of photons that you need today, you need less and less energy. And the side benefit of that is you're also generating less heat because the way wasted energy in a fixture expresses itself is by heat, which is why you then need an HVAC system to remove that heat. So as you waste less energy, you need to run less HVAC. And so the whole operation becomes less energy intensive over time. And that's a trend I've seen already play out in the five plus years we've been building Bowery and it is only going to continue. So tell us about your new farm that you're building in Pennsylvania. You've said it's the biggest one do you mean the biggest one in the world or the biggest one in the US? Or what, what does that mean? <laughs> but I'll stick with no hyperbole other than it's the biggest farm we've built at Bowery is what I okay. would tell you. That, that's, that's all I could say. And, and you know, I think really what, what we're most excited about is, first of all, to continue our investment in both the Mid-Atlantic region and as well as the tri-state area which are two areas which, you know, we've obviously really, we grew up in the the New York and New Jersey and the tri-state area. And now we've really made a home down in Maryland and in the, in the whole mid-Atlantic region. So our ability to continue to serve both of those areas out of the new farm is really exciting. I think there's something really nice. I mean, if you think about Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the first place my mind goes is steel, right? And Bethlehem steel plants. And so what we're able to do at Bowery now is to come in and take non-arable land and essentially turn it into arable farmland and year-round green jobs in the community itself. And so I think there's something really exciting and nice about that. And, you know, 
obviously, from our perspective, we're really excited about a number of the technological advances that we're going to be bringing to bear on the farm because we're constantly learning and iterating and improving with each farm we build and each vintage of farms that we build. And so there is more work that we're going to be doing from an automation perspective and more formats that we're going to be bringing into the market based on some of the things that we're going to be building in this farm. Computer vision capabilities, particularly around the Bowery operating system, are going to be enhanced meaningfully for this new farm and some of the work we've been doing there. And, you know, I think it's the next generation for us of what will start to become, you know, farms that we begin to build across the country as well. Yeah, it's really interesting because it feels like the current trend in indoor agriculture, especially vertical farming, is to to now go kind of hard in on the expanding the varieties, expanding the product portfolio. But with that, you know, really digging into the seed technology to make sure that you're breeding, you know, plants that are absolutely optimized for that. How do you think that's where where things have gone? Because, you know, you've mentioned that costs are still a thing and it's not profitable yet. You know, are you trying to keep investors interested by having that wider variety? Are you having, you know, do you have the demand for it from retailers? Why do you think that's where the industry's gone now? Yeah, well, well, so so I so I did not say it's not profitable yet. You asked the question of will it be profitable ah. in the next five years? And I said <laughs> yes, it would be. Uh, and and so you know, I I don't believe that at least in our case at Bowery, this is not a, an instance of how can we pull a new bright, shiny object out of our bag to keep people excited. I think what's really fortunate is the industry that we're in and what we're building at Bowery is just sort of fundamentally exciting to a lot of people. I think people recognize how critical to the challenges in climate the agricultural system is. I think people recognize the need for more sustainable practices in farming and recognize the power that indoor agriculture and what we're building at Bowery really offers to help as a solution there. And so I think the enthusiasm is there. I think the idea of genetics, really, if you look at it, is actually just consistent with what agriculture has been doing for hundreds and even thousands of years. And it, it just a lot of times happens under behind the curtain, right? Under the surface where you don't hear about it and think about it, you know, but we've been breeding plants outside and inside greenhouses for decades and decades and decades. And many of the crops we have today, in fact, all of the crops we have today probably are a result of focused breeding efforts of different types. And so I think it's only the natural progression that indoor agriculture is thinking about breeding and seeds as well. And I think in some ways, what it really does is, is it really solidifies the fact that this is another iteration in the next generation of what farming will be about. Because seeds and genetics, which have underpinned everything before them, now are starting to show up as a part of the conversation in indoor agriculture and in controlled environment as well. Okay, let's switch things up a little bit. Uh, A big question I'd like to ask guests on future food, which is when you think about the future food system in 2050, what do you think it will look like? So you could name maybe one or two things that you think will be different from today. Ooh, okay. I feel like I'm gonna, and try not to mention indoor agriculture. I'm not going to mention I indoor agriculture. I assume that's what yeah, you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, No, no, no. That's, that's true. Obviously, I think that'll be a part of it. So that, 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 yeah. that's a given. And I don't know, you know, I don't know. This isn't going to be revolutionary, but, I, you know, I, there needs to be alternative sources to meat. And so I think you're going to see not just plant-based meat, 
becoming much more ubiquitous. And you've seen the stats recently. Some stats came out last week that, you know, the category has grown something like 27% last year alone, which is really enormous. And I think it's a great thing to see, you know, beyond and impossible. And some of these other brands, I mean, Impossible's growth has been amazing in and of itself um, meets no different. But I think that the next iteration in that world is going to be cell-based and culture-based meat. And so there's some really interesting companies doing work there, not just focused on meat, but seafood. And that technology, like many others, is going to take some time to, to mature and to gestate. But I think you're seeing that happen at much more rapid rates. And I actually think that the plant-based phenomena that Beyond and Impossible have helped to usher in is going to make it that much more easy for these other new technologies and therefore new brands to come into the market and be accepted quickly. And so I think that's a huge net benefit for society and for us as a food system. So, so right there, I think that that's a, a certainty. I, yeah, I think the next thing that you're going to see is going to be much more regionalized food system in general. And so, you know, I think that we've kind of after World War II and into the 1950s in this country, particularly, we shifted focus to say, how do we mass produce, you know, large amounts of cheap food, lots of food out there at a relatively cheap price. And that was our focus. And that's why sometimes when people say, oh man, the food supply chain is broken. I don't think that's actually a fair statement. I think the food supply chain is not necessarily broken. It's actually doing what we designed it to do. We've just decided that we actually don't like what it does anymore because there's a real cost to it, which is the right answer. And you know, I think one of the things that's been interesting with COVID is it shined this light on the susceptibility that we have in our supply chain to so many other players. Right, it could be other regions of our country. It could be other countries. It could be means of transportation, and it doesn't take a lot for some of those connective tissues to break down. And resiliency from a regional food system perspective is going to become more and more important. And I think what will come with that resiliency will also be the willingness to, I hope, eat a wider variety and a differentiated set of food as well. Because what's enabled us to have this mass-produced cheap food has been an equal narrowing in the biodiversity of what we grow and what we eat. And so if you regionalize the food system, it sort of stands to reason that at the same time, we'll have a greater diversity of the kind of flavors and the things that we're eating as well, which I think is exciting. So can you mass produce cheap food with vertical farming? Is that the future? That's actually one of the real benefits of what we're doing, Louise, is that we can mass produce cheap but high quality food without the environmental cost that comes with much of the, the system that brought us to where we are today. It's really local farming done at scale. And to the conversation we had about seeds, like what's so special is when you're growing outdoors, really what drives seed selection in many respects is can this resist drought and can this resist pests when it's in the field? And then once I harvest this, is it going to resist transportation and show up and look good? And none of those are factors that we worry about at Bowery. And so we can select for incredible taste and flavor and vibrancy in the crops themselves. And we can deliver those year round locally in a more sustainable way of farming. And so I think that that is a really exciting aspect of what we're building at Bowery. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you've gone for the big plant factory model and there are others that are doing more of a distributed but much smaller scale model, like the in-farms of the world. But you could, I suppose, have large factories in lots of local regions. But what is the, you know, there must be a challenge around finding the real estate for that. Like, how's that been for you? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is, is, is 
there's so much land in this country, but around the world, because you know our, our economy is evolving and the types of industries that that were in place in some areas. I mean, back to what we were talking about in Bethlehem, there's all these areas that used to produce steel, whereas much of that industry isn't there anymore. And, and so it's obviously caused you know, a lot of challenges and hard times for a lot of communities around the country. And that's one of the things we're, we're excited is that we can come in and we can, you know, we can build Bowery farms and we can employ people to build our farms, but then employ people to be farmers and to work at Bowery as well in these communities. And so there, there are opportunities like that in communities all over this country and all over the world. I think that's, you know, we don't worry about the real estate side of it necessarily. So when do you move out of the tri-state area? You know, some of the others have made announcements, some have made moves in other parts of the world. The Middle East is a particular example. When can we expect you to to move elsewhere and, and what would kind of get you to do that? Yeah, I think, you know, listen, we're, our focus has always been building Bowery's farms in cities across the entire United States and across the world. And uh, nothing has changed from that goal. We're focused on building this farm in, in Pennsylvania right now that will help serve the Mid-Atlantic and the Tri-State. But there's no question that we'll be moving and expanding not only across the country, but more broadly in the near future. Why do you think some other groups have struggled to actually make those farms a reality? Is I've often heard about the challenge of actually, you know, the distribution, the actual selling the produce. It's one thing building a farm and growing it, but then actually getting the distribution could be challenging too. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I realized early on when I was building Bowery and that we've really take the heart all the time is, it's easy to look at what we're doing and say, wow, like what an amazing farming business. But the truth is we're actually not just reinventing farming. What we're actually doing at Bowery is we're reinventing the, the fresh food supply chain and we're rebuilding a supply chain that's safer. It's more sustainable. It's much simpler. And we can control that supply chain from seed to store. But part of building a supply chain is, of course, the farming part of it. But it's also... Who are you selling the product to? And how are you getting it there? And how are you actually growing it? You know, and all these other pieces to the puzzle. And so from the earliest days, we recognized that being excellent at all those aspects of the supply chain was critical to being successful. And just being a great technologist or just being a great farmer wasn't going to be enough. And so that's really why we've been thoughtful and how we've grown and built the business and grown and built the team and ultimately structured, you know, ourselves to where we are today. Awesome. Agritecture consulting. I'm sure you know Henry Gordon Smith. Absolutely. He tells us, yeah. He shout out to him. And tells us that you have some of the best branding and marketing in the sector. <laughs> I'm sure that's music to your ears. Yeah. Is that translating to better sales? We have really focused on our brand from the earliest days as well. You know, when I started the company, Louisa, there were three things that mattered back then. And those three things still matter to us today, which is our farms, the Bowery operating system, and our brand itself. And those pillars of the business have, have remained over the course of time. And so we've really invested in how we tell our story and how our story shows up on the shelf or online in different areas because food is so personal for people, right? It is cultural, it is familial, it is 
something that you interact with ideally three times a day at least and you feed your children and your friends and yourself. And so helping people understand openly and honestly what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it's important has been an area that we're, that, that we're really passionate about from the early days. And we're incredibly fortunate. Katie Sewell, who's our chief commercial officer, is just exceptional in this space and the team that she's built around her are equally exceptional. And, and you know, it's not hard hard to be passionate about the mission that we have. And, and that really shows up in the work itself. So it's really nice to hear Henry say that because uh, it's something we take great pride in and we put a lot of effort towards. If you had a moonshot idea for a better food system, what would it be? National or global? Uh, okay. So I think particularly global. I so saw, I'll break it up. I think it's a single idea, but it manifests itself in different ways, nationally and internationally. Nationally, there is a recognition, and this, this goes globally as well, but that there can be real benefits around regenerative, regenerative agriculture and regenerative farming practices. The challenge is financial oftentimes for people to actually switch over, use new technologies, use methods of growing, even something as simple as just using precision agriculture techniques. Internationally, what you actually face in a lot of developing countries are farmers who don't have the knowledge and understanding to, of how to grow better or the capital and the access to tools and fertilizers and things like that that they may need to increase yields and grow better crops and really support a bigger industry and a bigger community there. So what would be incredibly impactful is if you could build a large base of capital that both provided micro loans as well as an educational capacity in a national way could focus on regenerative practices, precision practices, ways that are more environmentally friendly to help farmers actually make transitions to use these technologies, invest in these technologies, and then grow in better and new ways. And internationally to help farmers learn and understand just how to grow different crops, how to have more biodiversity, how to support a wider variety of crops to feed their communities and then use some of those micro loans to then provide the actual dollars they need in those communities for plows, for tractors, for fertilizers, for the, the things that they then have learned about and now need to execute. Because I think it's it's both a problem of knowledge, but then once you have the knowledge, actually accessing the things you've learned about is difficult. And so if you could have a really powerful pool of capital to work alongside a strong educational model, it could really transform the food system, not only in the country, but around the world. Fantastic. I love that idea. And really interesting that you, you know, you brought up regenerative farming practices. Obviously, indoor agriculture can't really be regenerative, but is that kind of your hope for the outdoor farming system? I, I listen, I think I try not to make sort of these zero-sum game proclamations because I think it's too easy to say, oh, will this be everything? Will this be nothing? And and so I think there is a undoubtedly a place for regenerative agriculture in the system overall. I think you, we're going to see it take, you know, more of a center stage in parts of agriculture, but is the only, is it the only way? No. Will it be the only way? I don't think so. I think it will be one of many tools we have to grow in a more sustainable and responsible way as time goes on. True or false? Gene editing is genetically modi modified. It's gene modification. What's the, I think the actual legal rule is false, is what they say. Right. But what do you think? Yeah, I think false is right. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So what is driving your expansion strategy and where do you think vertical farming will see the most growth? We have really been believers at Bowery from the earliest days in thoughtful scaling. And you and I have spoken about this, you know, over the years and just ensuring that we're growing and we're building in a thoughtful and a measured way and not allowing our enthusiasm and the excitement for the industry to overtake us and making sure that we're being measured in what we do. And that sort of ties back to what we talked about around the importance of the economics of the industry overall. I think we're incredibly excited about how far we've come and where we are today. And I also recognize that the world around us has evolved as well and what I think was looked at as an if, you know, if indoor farming ever becomes something and if it actually works has actually transitioned much more so to a when now. And people are, look at this as an inevitability and I'll actually look towards it with enthusiasm and excitement versus sort of confusion, which is what it was when I got started. And so that in and of itself is exciting because when the consumers and the retail partners are excited about this, it really becomes a powerful force driving things ahead. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this has gone from a slightly hyped up sector to one that is like fully got its place in the farming industry and, and you're, you know, you're producing not insignificant amounts of food now. So um, it's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Irving, for uh, being part in Future Food Podcast and uh, travels coming up now that we can kind of get out and about and fly around the world. So I, I was just talking to my wife this morning, in fact, and we were saying to ourselves, I got my first shot last week and she had hers a couple of weeks ago. So we were... Uh, saying that we now needed to start to think about going somewhere because I think we, like many others, are itching uh, to, to, to get out and do something. So I don't have anything planned yet, but hopefully imminently. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.